With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Like the book I talk, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and we're going to spend the next two days just doing a little deep dive into Missouri, the football team, because quite frankly, up until we found out they were playing them in the Cotton Bowl on December 29th, we had no idea about Ohio State's Cotton Bowl opponent, Missouri, just because we're paying attention to other stuff. And so as the signing day takes off next week, this will be the last time we get to talk current football stuff today on Thursday and then on Friday as well. And then Nathan heads off to Dallas and then we'll get into you know bowl game prep after that. So we're gonna spend the next two days, like I said, getting into Missouri's offense and their defense. And we're starting with the offensive side of the ball. And I, I wanna break it up kinda into Missouri's passing attack and Missouri's running attack because they're Nathan, they do a lot of ten personnel. Just in watching them play football, they do a lot of stuff with four wide receivers on the field in a way that it doesn't really matter because they'll run out of it and they'll throw out of it. And they're equally as dangerous at both of those situations. Yeah, I know. I think it's going to be a different look than Ohio State has seen in any serious way from from any opponent this year. Um, I'm actually not even sure who I would maybe most equate them to that they saw this year. I suppose like a Western Kentucky would would do some of this sort of things where they open it up this much. But, you know, in the Big Ten, you don't typically see offenses who uh, come out and attack you like this. That's why it was so important to hear for Ohio State fans on Tuesday that several of these defensive players plan on playing in this game. Because I think the more you look at Missouri, you start to take more and more and more Ohio State defensive players off the field. This could become a pretty rough matchup. And you're looking at Brady Cook this year, completing 66.4% of his passes, 3,189 yards, only 20 touchdowns and six interceptions. So it's not like the raw stats are all that productive, but you know, his quarterback rating of 158.1, and he's he is a veteran in this game. When you see him, what makes him a dangerous threat for Ohio State's defense? So the the thing that I look at when when you talk about Cook is is he does a really good job getting the ball out. They've got some really talented guys on that offense, and and we'll talk about them soon. Um, but the thing is with him, it's about getting the ball out. I, you know, he had a a streak where it was a, a, like almost 400 passes 
without an interception. I mean, when you play in the SEC, that's really impressive, um, especially considering when you're playing LSU. I mean, LSU doesn't have a good defense this year, but like that was who the streak ended against. But you're playing the Alabamas and all those other programs, the Georgias, and that's a that's a that's a really good stat. And he has a really nice touch to his ball. He has a really nice, really nice arm place or really nice arm. Um, Really nice arm and what am I trying to say? Really nice arm and really nice ball placement. placement. There we go. I was getting confused there. Um, So I I think you can kind of see just a really smart, really intelligent quarterback who who does the right things. I mean, he only has six interceptions on the year. I didn't see that much aggressiveness where it's, you know, kind of like the J.J. McCarthy aspect of things where, you know, sometimes he makes a throw and you put your hands on your head and you're like, oh, God, what is he doing? Um, you know, you, you don't see that, you know, there's not that level of excitement. I don't think from him. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I see a guy who is really talented. Like I said, he gets the ball out. I think that that's a really interesting thing to look at is that he's, he's not really going to try and make a ton of plays with, um, you know, by just running around and trying to find the right guy. I think he'll, he just does a smart job and a really effective job of making sure he's getting the ball in the hands of his playmakers. Nathan, and just looking at their stats, especially in the passing game, their usage looks very similar to Ohio State's usage this year. Now, of course, Ohio State's comes with the context of their second best receiver missed a good chunk of the season with the Mecca Ibuka, but it's kind of like Luther Burden's our number one option. He's our number two option. And then we think about going to Theo Weiss and Mookie Cooper every so often. Mookie Cooper, former Ohio State football player for six months there, part of that 2020 wide receiver group that had four top 100 recruits in it. Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, G. Scott, and Mookie Cooper. So it's come full circle here, man. Kind of, because Julian Fleming's not here anymore. But Jackson Smith, the Jigba, off to the NFL. Julian Fleming, a multi-year starter, and has decided to enter the transfer portal for his fifth year. G. Scott t- turned into a tight end, and Mookie Cooper is a has been a productive piece of the Tigers offense for the last couple of years here, but very similar in how they use these guys. It's like, let's force feed Luther burden and then we'll sprinkle in some other guys. And that's what it felt like at times Ohio state was this year, whether it was out of necessity or just because Marvin's that good, but it was force feed Marvin Harrison jr. And then sprinkle in a little bit of these other guys. And so we're not sure if Marvin Harrison jr. Is going to play in the cotton bowl or not. I think we're all assuming he's not. Like I said, assumption. He hasn't actually said it yet. Who's the best wide receiver in this game? Yeah, I think that's a great question because when I watch Luther Burden, I mean, I think the quibble that I, uh, the distinction that it, that's different in, in the way you're describing it is Missouri. What Missouri does is if Emeka Buka was the guy that you were feeding in the offense, because yeah. I watch Luther Burden and I see a lot of what the best of Emeka Buka could be. Like he's he's a very mm-hmm. strong guy. Also, very shifty guy, and they do a good job. Like I was, you know, if you watch just a highlight reel of Burden, even just this season's highlight reel, it's even more impressive. I would argue what he does out in space than someone like Trevian Henderson, who we think of as being a, a really deadly guy out in space. So it's he he kind of fit checks off all these boxes. Like they'll use him out of the backfield on handoffs and things like that. There's a lot of times where he's he's you know a primary option that they're sending vertically downfield and trying to get a good matchup on. There's other times where he is just also the dump off guy or a, a quick strike guy, and then he's making something happen after the catch. Just a, a really dynamic guy, and I'm very curious how Ohio State is going to try to match up with him because while they move him around, 
they don't move him around to use him as a perimeter receiver. From what I see, I see them more moving him around. Even when they line him up out there, it's because they can get him on a matchup that is advantageous. And there's some absolutely deadly potential matchups in this game for Ohio State. Depending on who they have available at linebacker, depending on who they have available at safety, there are some matchups where if Burden is the guy one-on-one with those guys, that's who Missouri is going to be picking on a lot. Two hundred and ninety-four of his snaps came in the slot. To your point, and only fifty-one of them came outside. I was watching the Georgia game just because I think I mean Georgia's the best team they played last year, this past year, and I was trying to see. At first, I just saw the stats before I started turning the game on. I'm like, oh. Georgia limited Luther Burden. I think he had like two catches. Yeah, three catches for 53 yards. Oh, they really limited the guy who at least started the season off so hot. And then you go watch the game and say, oh, they didn't really limit him. He just got hurt. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> there's, I, I thought that Georgia would be the blueprint, but he did cool off, Andrew. He started off the season 96 yards against South Dakota, 117 yards against Middle Tennessee State, seven catches for 114 yards against Kansas State, and then 10 catches for 177 yards, which was his best day to that point against Memphis, 11 catches, 140 yards against Vanderbilt, and 11 catches for 149 yards against LSU. And then it cooled off against Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, and then he finally picked back up against Florida Florida with nine catches and 158 yards. But to Nathan's point, he does play in the slot, which can sometimes mean easy catches, and can you do something with it after the catch? When you think about Ohio State secondary, especially now that we know guys like Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke are playing as well, which means I would assume that unless Lathan Ransom is somehow healthy enough to play in the Cotton Bowl, that the starting unit probably is Jordan Hancock at nickel and Sonny Styles at Bandit. Right. Is this more of a matchup of, hmm, let's see what Denzel Burke can do when he gets his opportunities, or is this more about Jordan Hancock and showing what he can do in the slot as a cornerback? I think. Just like Missouri is going to have to mix it up, I think Ohio State might have to mix it up too. That you have to mix up coverages with how you're going to defend this guy. Um, you know, because I mean, he can burn you. I think one of the impressive things that, yeah, I mean, I watched his highlight tape too, Nathan, and I think one of the impressive things is he's not overly big for a receiver. I mean, he's only listed at like 5'11, hmm. like 205 pounds. That's not super massive, right? But he's really tough to bring down. And I think part of it is like, it's like, you're trying to catch a grease pig. He's a really, yeah. really athletic player. And he's also just really, really stout and really, really strong. So I don't I don't think that there's uh, like a catch-all kind of answer. It, it feels very weird that we're talking about this, by the way, because it feels like every other podcast, like a Penn State podcast, is like, how do you defend Marvin Harrison Jr. when he lines up in the slot? And it feels like this is the first time we've done this. Um, so I, I think it's kind of what we would say, how you would think teams would defend Marvin Harrison Jr., right? There's not an answer. There's there's not, oh, this is what you're going to do, bang. I think that that's just a recipe for failure. So I think you mix it up. I think you could, you know, you move him around. If you want to have Burke follow him, if he lines up on the outside, do you follow him in motion? How, how do you kind of handle these things? I think zone coverage, man coverage, you know, you jam him at the line, you give him space. I think that there's a lot of different ways to do this. And you're going to have to do that if you want to defend Luther Burden, because if you go out there and say, all right, well, we're just going to have, you know, Jordan Hancock follow him around the entire game. That's probably not going to work because then Missouri will be able to scheme up some stuff and they will be able to get Burden open. And I mean, you just look at the numbers like uh, Cook threw 351 passes and um, 
Luther Burden had 83 catches. So of 233 completed passes from Missouri starting quarterback, 83 of those went to Luther Burden. So it's a pretty significant gap that they try to get this man the ball. So you can't just say we're going to have one guy defend him the whole game and we're just going to see where it lies because you don't have like three first round corners where you're just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. We're good. Luther Burden is that good where you have to mix some stuff up. 1,197 catches. I mean, receiving yards. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, if he had, yeah. That would be a record. But a rece- yeah, maybe. 719 of those yards came after the catch, Nathan. That's 60% of his yardage is is just, as Andrew said, they get the ball out quick, and it's just get the ball in this guy's hands and then let him be magical about it. He's got games this year. He had 124 yards after the catch against Memphis, and it's not the only time he's done that. He had 104 yards after the catch against Florida. So this is so much more. His yardage, his production is so much more about what he is than it is in comparison to Cook is. and. Lathan Ransoms, if he doesn't play, we don't know. We haven't actually seen him physically, so we don't know what his progress is. Last time we saw him, he was in a boot and then a scooter, and then a week later, he was at least not using the scooter. But we have at times in that back seven seen some issues with wrapping up with tackling at times when they get to second levels. How much more is that an emphasis? Because like I just said, 60% of his yardage comes after he already has the ball in his hand. Yeah, no, it, yeah exactly what I was saying before. Like this, It's why this isn't really a Marvin Harrison comparison. Like they're, they're very different kinds of receivers. And as much as Marvin did effectively improve as a yard after the catch guy, it's not what he thrives on the same way. He's just got a different skill set. He's a different body. He's just a different receiver. Burden is very much more like I was saying, like it's 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 more the Ibuka Henderson kind of skill set than your your traditional ex, you know perimeter receiver skill set. And I think it's a combination of things. I think Ohio State does have to be smart about, you know, keeping track of him and knowing who it's matching up with. I think it's in a weird way, it could be at I don't want to say advantageous. It would it's not advantageous that Lathan Ransom can't play. I think if Lathan Ransom could play in this game, I think it might be a as we've seen before, a more reduced role for Sonny Styles in deference to having Jordan Hancock on the field more, because I think they'll just feel like they need that coverage support more than they would need the things that Sonny Styles is the best at. That is also be dependent on Burke playing in the game too, because then you can still have Burke and Igbenosan on the perimeters. They do have one like bigger receiver. Most of the receivers aren't that big. They're like 5'10", 5'11". You know, Mookie Cooper's not that big. Um, Marquise Johnson, not that big. This guy, they do have a guy, Theo Weiss. He's like 6'2", 192. So that's, a, you would assume maybe that's a matchup better suited for Igbenosan. And, that you know, Burt can handle whatever is going on on the other side. But this is going to probably have to be some tandem stuff. And you definitely have to be, like you said, um, they're going to get him the ball in space. This is not really about like running precise routes and getting that guy the ball at that point the way it is with Marvin Harrison Jr. This is about you know lining this guy up in the slot. Maybe you're lining two people up in the slot right next to each other, one side of the ball, and now uh, this time it's it's Burden running a very vertical route. So now who's picking him up over the top? Now he's running a more horizontal route. Who's picking him up across the middle? It's a guy that they're going to move around the same way Ohio State does with Marvin, but with a kind of a different, um, just a 
different dynamic involved because Marvin is more about being able to catch literally anything. And Burden is much more about also being very strong there. Like I, I was impressed with just looked like a guy who secured things pretty well. But again, it's it's now he's got a lane open and can you prevent disaster? It might be Jackson Smith, the Jigba in the Utah game. And I'm not saying the production. I'm just talking about if you go back and watch that game, they put Jackson all over the field with the purpose of just like, here, Jackson, here's the ball. Go do something Jackson Smith the Jigba would do. And he like, I mean, he did it all afternoon. Now, Ohio State's not going to have running backs playing cornerback well, yeah. in this game. But- They're going to have their actual starting <laughs> cornerbacks. So the production of 300 plus yards and three touchdowns might not be there, but the 15 catches might just because like, as you just said, it's not about Maybe. precision route running and just getting him downfield. It might just be cook throws 35 passes and 19 of those targets go to Luther burden. And, 10 of them are within the five yards of the line of scrimmage just because they want to get the ball. So maybe that is the example of like, go look at what Ohio State wanted to do with Jackson Smith the Jigba and just getting the ball in his hands in the Utah game and what they were trying to do in 2022 before he get hurt. And that might be the formula we see Missouri use with Luther Burden. I think that's a good analogy that this might be what Jackson Smith and Jigba was supposed to be last year. You know, Ryan Day mentioned multiple times that when he got hurt, it really scuttled a lot of what they wanted to do with him in the offense, what the offense was supposed to be last year, and they had to adjust um, without him. Um, as talented as, as Abuka is, Jackson was just a, a, a different kind of, of athlete there. And... I think that's actually probably a good analogy. It's what I was kind of insinuating before that like if Burke and Hancock and uh, whoever else weren't playing in this game, I think it might actually have the opportunity, the chance to turn out like Jackson Smith, the Jigba against Utah in 20, not that these are running backs, Ohio State would be putting out there, but they would be really relying on uh, even more inexperienced guys and, um, and guys that again, Missouri could look for those, really advantageous matchups against. So um, I, I do think, though, that this is where it's also going to, when you're defending the pass, it's, it, you know, secondary is obviously the primary thing you're thinking about, not to, not to use those two words uh, incorrectly next to each other. But this is also where Ohio State's front is going to be important because I think when you, when you allow Brady Cook the opportunity to find burden kind of on his own terms, then that's where you're setting yourself up for problems. You know, they're again, they're going to be setting him up to try to get these matchups, to try to get him open over the middle, let him work in space. So what can you do if it's pressure from Tyleek Williams and Mike Hall Jr., assuming he plays, if it's the guys coming off the edge, what can you do to disrupt Missouri's first plan, make make Cook at least have to move, at least have to maybe improvise something and take Burden away, Try help take Burden away that way as well. That's a great way to segue this into the pass rush situation of this. Missouri's only allowed 20 sacks this year, which, and so much of that is because they get the ball quickly up out of their hands. Their, their offensive line this year has given up. Cameron Johnson's given up 16 pressures, two sacks. That's their guard. Xavier Delgado, the other guard's given up 15 pressures, no sacks. Their center, Connor Tullison, has given up 14 pressures. Armand Minbeau has given up 13 pressures and only two sacks. That's one of their tackles. And the other, Ajay Von Foster, <clears throat> has given up 13 pressures and only one sack. But they haven't, because they get the ball out so quickly, I think it's more, it's a, the scheme. 
is why they haven't necessarily given up a ton of pressures and a ton of sacks this year, Andrew. Is the solution to that force find ways to get Missouri in third and long more often than maybe almost Nathan used the term Western Kentucky and how they were getting the ball out quick. And if you got them in the third and long situations where you can't quite do the quick game stuff so often, because you do have to have longer developing routes. Is that maybe the key here is that Missouri is a much more talented, much more talented and much more sophisticated version of what Western Kentucky wants to do in its passing offense. Cause it does run the ball as well. Yeah. I was going to say like, if, if we're going to compare Missouri to Western Kentucky, I, it, this is like the, like Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, steroid version of Western Kentucky, right? Like these <laughs> yeah. guys are like roided up Western Kentucky. Um, I do think that does a little bit of disservice to their offensive line. Um, their left tackle, Javon Foster, like th- this is an NFL player. Um, you know, he's a he's a really physical guy, he's six foot five, three hundred twenty pounds. I I try to watch line tape, and it's hard to watch line tape sometimes because the camera doesn't always show what's going on. You know, the ball goes out. If the ball gets out really quick, and we don't have the all twenty two, you're not looking at it. But the thing that you read about him, and the thing that you watch about him, is that he's really athletic and he's really physical. And, you know, I think that that is one of the things that is going to be really interesting to me is that whoever lines up against him, however they're going to, however Ohio State wants to do this, like with just JT play, does Jack line up over the left tackle? Like how do they kind of configure their defensive line arrangements? So I think that having a matchup on the offensive line like that, you know, we can talk about how big it is that Jack Sawyer is going to play. But if JT Tumaloa opts out hypothetically, and then you have Foster versus Sawyer, like that's an interesting matchup. And I don't know really how much Ohio State is going to benefit from that. So I think that that's an interesting thing to watch too. So you can give credit to the offensive line at Missouri for saying, you know what, they do what they have to do. You know, they're an experienced offensive line. I think that that is number one when I kind of, when you do a pre-scout, I think throughout the year, that is one of the things that I look at. Like, just go down the line. Foster, redshirt senior. Uh, Delgado, redshirt senior. Redshirt senior. Or red, excuse me, redshirt sophomore. Redshirt senior. And then a true sophomore. Like, you can kind of go down the line and you see some experience, right? You got fifth year, fifth year, uh, third year, fifth year, and then second year. Those guys have played some college football, and that really matters along the offensive line. I mean, look at how much better Ohio State's offensive line got when they started to play with one another. So, you can say that, you know, oh, they, you know, Luther Burden's going to catch a bunch of bubble screens and they're going to get the ball out really quickly and, and this and that and the other. But I think it does do a little bit of a disservice for, you know, Missouri's got a pretty talented offensive line. Nathan, when you watch Missouri, and I know Andrew just broke down like some of their strengths on that offensive line. Where is the place Ohio State can maybe attack this off this Missouri offensive line more? Is it on the edge or is it inside? I mean, probably inside, if I had to guess. And I, that's also, you know, a strength for Ohio State, though. I mean, this defensive tackle group has been uh, really reliably strong all year. Tyreek Williams is the only one of the the top of the rotation that we know is, is coming back next year. Um, I don't know that any of these guys are particularly, like, weak. You know, um, you know, Cameron Johnson might be the one who is the most... Um, uh, one of their guards is the one that maybe is the most uh, but, um, with the potential to, to have some success against, I guess would be the, the, the easy way, the most that easy was way such to a say coach it. way to um, say that. <laughs> um, the, the one who's the one, I mean, he's the one who's allowed the, the most, um, you know, pressures and things like that. 
but they've all, I mean, they're all pretty solid actually, as far as their protection rates this year. I mean, this is a group that the, the starting group, um, you look at the PFF grades and sometimes the way that they record a sack is, is different than the way a sack is recorded, but they've only got them down with like seven sacks combined between those, those main five and only allowing like five other quarterback hits. I mean, it's just been a, a really strong group because of the way, as you said, Stephen, like just the scheme, it's like they're not allowing you to, to get those, to get to tee off on them, right. To, to, to come after cook that much. So again, that's another way that it, it reminds you of Western Kentucky and, and Ohio state had to find a way to interrupt that def that offense without relying on a, a pass rush getting home. So they have this experience. They've, they've done this before. It's just a matter of, as you're trying to project out how they can attack it, well, it, it still depends on who is actually there, who is actually available for them. And I, I think what is going to be critical, and it just sort of it's going to segue us into the other thing, is as talented as they are throwing the ball, they obviously have, have had success running the ball this year too. It, it's not just an, an offense. And that's where it, maybe it, it strays the most from Western Kentucky because I think this is a more balanced offense. I mean, it's better offense than that too, but just also a more balanced offense than that. I'm not really remembering in the entirety of the Big Ten season. Like you look at some of the, the bigger games that they've played this year, like, you know, Rutgers had a really good running back, but couldn't balance that out with its, you know, receivers. In Maryland, you know, Talia Tagovailoa could do some things in the passing game and be creative, but it, that was not a complete offense that they were facing. Penn State, God knows that was not a complete offense that they were facing when Ohio State played them this year. Michigan is the closest thing. And, and this is, in terms of just like its potency, this is in that same realm. But it's going to be a, a different challenge because as much as Michigan was ground-based and then would pass off of that, Missouri can can really kind of equally hurt you with both. So let's take a break right there, and then we'll come back and we'll get into that, to your point, because they do run the ball well. Almost not as well as they throw it, but it's – quite well enough to complement the stuff they do want to do in the passing game. So we'll get more into that when we come back from this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Get the text, 614-350-3315. It's, listen, it's almost signing day, which means we're going to be texting about signing day stuff. Nathan's headed to Dallas in about a week and a half here, and he's going to be texting the whole time he's down there. <laughs> you see what I did there? Texting. He's going to Texas. Never mind. You guys don't. But um, anyway, oh, anyway I got it. get the text, man. Six one four three. 
I'm just saying. I thought it was funny, and that's what really matters. That's all that counts. 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial, $399 after that. You get it right now. It gets you through signing day and the week after that, which will be bubble coverage, which is a really good time to sign up, just like any other time of year, because there is no bad time to sign up for the text. We're talking Ohio State. We're talking Missouri, and we're talking the Cotton Bowl, and just taking a look at this opponent that they're going to be facing in about two weeks here when they head down to Dallas. Here's the numbers, first and foremost, 34.1 points per game for their offense. That's 26 nationally, and it's sixth in the SEC. 6.62 yards per play, that's 15th nationally, and third in the SEC. 9.1 passing yards per attempt, that's 13th nationally, and fifth in the SEC. And in the run game, 4.59 yards per attempt, that's 42nd in the country, and sixth in the SEC. But, Nathan, I do think that number – is less is it's not that they're they're not i wouldn't call them a middle of the road rushing team especially with their starter cody schrader 247 carries 1499 yards so 1500 yards and 13 touchdowns but he's also a problem in the passing game as well 2022 catches there but because of how they line up it very much spreads you out in a way that makes them very dangerous sometimes in the run game for explosive plays because you're so worried about what's going on in the perimeter, but then they're just going to hit you up up the gut after that. Yeah, I mean, I was impressed with Schrader just in the way that he shows, I think, a pretty good vision, but it's just just hitting a hole hard and, and getting vertical fast and and just blasting off, you know what I mean? Um, I thought there was a lot of examples of that when you watch back through games that they played this season. He's a guy that, for people who don't know, was a former walk-on. He won the award this year for like the best former walk-on in the country. And um, it's sometimes it's you got to find those guys accidentally on your roster almost and and turn them into something special. And you know, Ohio State has its own guy that it can counter with. Um, that is a big play guy and a, a explosive guy in Trevin Henderson, possibly playing in this game. But if it doesn't have that guy, then I think when I watch Schrader, I do see some similarities actually more to someone like Dallin Hayden, because I feel like this is more just being a downhill runner, you know, hitting gaps hard, being decisive about it and just shooting into the second level. That's more of what I see from Schrader than being a, out in space, kind of whirling dervish kind of guy like Trevin Henderson can be. Ohio State has its walk on Xavier Johnson, who they use in a lot of different ways. I think Missouri is doing a better job of maximizing their walk on because this guy has turned himself into a situation where he might be an NFL player one day. I, I was really impressed with what Schrader had to do. Andrew was upset because he thought he was going to be able to be the one to break the news that he was the well, best the- walk on in America. Yeah. So I really. I read about him a lot last night and this morning as we were getting ready for this pod. And I really hope Cody Schrader has a nice career, man. I, this like, <laughs> I, so you reading about him. He, he was playing high school football and he did not really get a ton of looks. He had 6,759 rushing yards and 999 touchdowns in high school. Like that's crazy. And then he did not get any Division One looks, and he played at Division Two Truman State, uh, the Truman Bulldogs, out of the uh, Division Two level in the Great Lakes Valley Conference. I don't I've never heard of the Great Lakes Valley Conference, but he yeah, played GLBC. There. And shout out, 
And he, like he, there's, you know, there was this story I read. It was a really good story in the uh, Columbia Daily Tribune where it was basically like, this guy could not watch Division One football because he was so mad because he looked at it and went, man, I am as good as these dudes and nobody ever gave me the time of day. Because you look at him and he's not very physically imposing. He's five foot nine. He's like 214 pounds, I think is what he's listed at. He's not a physically imposing guy where you just look at him and you're like, whoa, Division One dude. Or, whoa, this dude can run a 4-3. He just doesn't have those like physical attributes. But, like Nathan and Stephen were saying, he gets to the hole quick. He's, I think the word to sum it up would be an efficient runner. Like He does things very efficiently. Yep. He doesn't really mess around in the backfield. He just gets to where he has to go. And, again, it's a really cool story kind of reading about this guy. Like He showed up at Missouri thinking that he could contribute on special teams as a walk-on. And Eli Drinkwitz, you know, before week one was like, oh, fans are going to know very quickly who this dude is. And, you know, you're talking about a running back who never passed the eye test, but made a leap, went from a division two school to start at an SEC school. Now he's the lead running back on a 10 and two team playing in the Cotton Bowl. It's a really cool story. And I understand Ohio State fans wanted to not end well in the Cotton Bowl, but it's it's a cool story. So uh, just remember that when ESPN does their little thing, uh, I don't know who the announcers are for this game. Um, I, have a, I, I, I don't know who they are. But whenever, oh. they, whenever Schrader gets his first carry, they're like, Cody Schrader, formerly of Truman State at the Division II level, made the leap. Just remember, you heard it here first on Buckeye Talk. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see how he plays because, again, it's a cool story. I, uh, I, and I think with, if Ohio State has a lot of its defensive line, this is a fun matchup. I don't know if they heard it here first. It's a pretty well publicized story at this point. <laughs> I mean, I, fact, I mean, look, we, fact, we had to look. I had to look this up. We right. all had to in look fact, this you, up about Missouri. Right. But the fact that you've already had to read it somewhere else, and you told our listeners they had to read it somewhere else, means they probably have heard it here first. But well, maybe it's funny. Do. I I started to write down um, efficient. Like that was a word that jumped out to me too. But I was worried that that was going to sound kind of dismissive. And it's not mm-hmm. efficient in the way that like a a check down game manager quarterback is efficient. It's just it's efficient in the way I, I, I like I don't know what you guys think. Like I I watched him run and I was like, oh, that's that's what we've seen in flashes from Dallin Hayden, where it's just yes. there's a hole. You hit it hard. And the next thing you know, you're in the second level and it doesn't always turn into 30 yards, but it's pretty consistently turning into like six or seven. And you do that enough times over the course of a game and you've made a huge difference. And Ohio State fans may get to see Dallin Hayden do that a lot more in this game, too. So that could be an interesting running back comparison that how does how does Schrader and Hayden like which one of them can turn more of those opportunities into like true breakaway moments? He does enough to keep them on schedule so they can do what they want to really want to do. And this is what Andrew, this is what I mean. This is what I want Ohio State to do. In the, oh, and no. it's not – this is what I actually want. I don't want them to throw it 70 times a game, though. That would be really? so much fun. Really? Are you sure uh, you don't want them to throw it 70 times a game? Okay, listen. As a fan of football, I love when teams throw the ball around the yard. Of course. It's what I want want to see. But how they go about offense in terms of – especially with some of the quick game stuff, the way they get it to their players out in space. But then the run game, how it's married perfectly. This is what you want to do in the passing game. So this is how we're going to balance that out in the run game so that 
we're not spamming it the way that Western Kentucky does it, where it's if we take this away, then we basically don't know what to do. It's enough, but it's enough to keep things on schedule. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up Dallin Hayden because that's what he's been every time we've seen him. Is it's not special, you know? He's not busting open for explosive runs every four or five runs or anything like that. Can he? Probably. I don't know. We'll see in the future here as he gets more opportunity. But what we do know is that his base level is. At worst, I'm going to keep you on schedule. If this play is designed to go for four yards, I'm at least going to get you, get you those four yards so that we can continue to do what we want to do offensively. And I thought Missouri, whether it was the Georgia game or any other games, I was just taking a peek at over the last 24 hours I was preparing for this. That's what I saw from Schrader. And him just doing that, every so often there's some explosives, but him just being, I'm going to keep us on schedule so we can do what we want to do in the passing game, took him from being a walk-on to a first-team All-American for AP. I don't know, man. I still think you just wanted to throw the ball 70 times and just kind of watch it. I think that that would be real. I think I think that if Ohio State ends a game with 70 pass attempts, you can look at it and be like, hey, man, passes sometimes passes just a long handoff. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, there is, there is kind of a blueprint here, I think, when you look at Missouri and when you look at just the way that they run their offense and you've got a star wide receiver. The the thing though, for me is that they've got that star wide receiver, but they don't particularly, and no disrespect to the other guys on the roster. Uh, they don't particularly have that like second guy who is like a Mecca Buka quality to a Marvin Harrison jr. Like Theo Weiss is not a Mecca Buka quality. And that's where I think it does get a little bit hairy, but I, I understand what you're saying. And that, Ohio State, there's a better way to do it. And I think there's a better way to marry your run game to your pass game. And I think Missouri does a better job of that than I think Ohio State does in terms of combining the two together. So, Nathan, we're, we're talking about the fact that you know, just kind of keeps them on schedule. But can it be a threat to Ohio State? Like, we saw Michigan have a drive where they just kind of gassed Ohio State late in that game and it's part of the reason why they ended up sealing that game but this is not Michigan they don't run the ball the same way Michigan runs the ball and really outside of Michigan I can't remember a team who had sustained it the way Michigan did we saw it a little bit with Penn State early but then they shut that down in the bud Notre Dame had some moments but it was never consistently sustained so that's why I'm asking while it's a quality and efficient run game can it actually be dangerous to Ohio State or is this going to be a situation where Almost like to compare it to Ohio State, what we saw with Ohio State and Georgia, where they use it enough to keep you honest, but it's not necessarily something that's going to be a big threat in terms of, you know, finding holes and escape escape hatches against this Ohio State defense. Well, I think that remains to be seen. I think a good offense will take what a defense is giving it. And I think that it's, you know, talking to Jim Knowles late in the season, like it became pretty clear that he saw some vulnerabilities in the run defense that he thought that Rutgers exposed some of those things and they were trying to clean that up and shore that up before they got to the Michigan game and didn't quite get there. You know, Michigan didn't gash them like consistently all game. It was an improvement over what it had been the previous two years, but obviously when they needed to stop there late in the game, when Michigan was only really running the ball, they, they couldn't get it and couldn't get it some, some, big fourth down stops in that game as well. And I think that's where there's probably still a vulnerability. It's like if if you're getting into short yardage situations 
this Missouri can hurt you both ways. Like they're not an especially predictable offense. I don't think as to what they would do in those situations. And you, that makes them makes it harder to defend both things that they could try to do to you there. And I do think there is enough question here, like, especially if they do end up losing more guys off of this defensive line and have to go with some younger guys, uh, depending on who is available to play linebacker, um, you know, there are still some places and in, in guys like Josh Proctor and the support that they provided over the at the back end of the, the secondary in things like run support. There are definitely some places where Ohio State could be vulnerable to the run if they don't have the right personnel and are, are maybe asking some guys who haven't done this before to, to play a big role against a really talented team. Again, it's one thing if you're having to make some of these changes and you're just playing a lower end of the Big Ten team, you're playing a non-conference game, whatever. Like This is one of the, by, by anyone's estimation, one of the best, like what, 10, 12, 15 teams at worst in the country this year. Like They've proven themselves to be of that level, and they don't have opt-outs right now from the, like right like we're not the, I don't think the Missouri beat is like sitting around thinking like well I wonder if like any of these guys are going to play like they're expecting the full group to be there at in Dallas and I absolutely think that this combination of a veteran offensive line a running back this talented if for some reason Ohio State was really getting to cook really causing him problems or really shutting down the receivers in the secondary, Missouri could absolutely pivot and just go run heavy and make Ohio State prove it could stop them. Quick side note as we're recording this pod. I, I've already I've sent this to our text, 614-350-3315. You would have known this information last week when I texted out about how I'd been you know, talking with some people around the Trayvon Henderson situation and what his status was. And he said that, and at that time, I was told that he had still not made a decision despite any rumors out there that he may have. And now he's made it public on his own. On his Twitter, he has come out and said that. Here's the exact quote from Trayvon Henderson. I have never announced nor made a decision on what my next steps would be. Excited to see where God leads me my next step. on my next steps, though, with some praying hands. Because praying hands emojis always makes the tweet a little bit better. So there's that. It's, we're, so that's still up in the air. As of us recording this pod on a Wednesday afternoon, Trayvon Henderson has still not made his decision. He has just decided to say it publicly instead of, I guess, letting us media members and, and people around him talk for him. So there's that. Back to the Ohio State-Missouri game real quick. When you look at Missouri as a whole and you look at Ohio State, and you do kind of have to add in the factors that for one side, it's like they're trying to make this, trying to end this season in a better light than how they how it is right now, right? They're trying, you know what I'm saying? They're trying to, you know, end the season the right way, as a lot of the players were saying on Tuesday when we were talking to them, versus another team who, quite frankly, is coming off the best season they've had in a decade. And they're trying to put like the ultimate punctuation on that season. Offensively, when you look at Missouri, as we've just broken down a lot of that stuff, I'll start with you, Andrew. And you look at Ohio State's defense. What gives you the most concern? Ooh, I'm trying to think from a game perspective. It's the talent that they have on the outside, because I don't think we've seen Ohio State play a level of talent like that on the outside, right? Like, like how would you compare, you know, Luther Burden to the guys that Ohio State has played from Michigan, from, you know, Roman Wilson to uh, Penn State, whoever their number one was, and Notre Dame, whoever their number one was. Like, how would you compare Brady Cook to Sam Hartman 
and Drew Aller. Like you could make a really good case that like Brady Cook is the second best quarterback Ohio State will have played this year. The I mean maybe third. Like there like there's a there's a strong case I think to be made that Burden is the best mm. receiver. I think actually that's a fairly easy case to make, and that yeah, Cook yeah. is Cook is up there too. <laughs> Yeah, so th- there's th- just the level of offensive playmaking ability. That is one thing that would scare me in game for for the Buckeyes. But I want to go back to a point that you said too, because I think that this is a general theme about this game. You mentioned like Missouri not having any opt outs because like this is a program that has not had great seasons in the last couple of years. Like in Eli Drinkwitz's tenure, five and five, six and seven, six and seven. And now ten and two, like for the dudes who are senior, we I mentioned that these dudes are seniors, that these dudes are veterans. This is their Super Bowl, like they have. This is their oh my goodness, we can have a winning season and beat Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl in twenty twenty one. They played in the Armed Forces Bowl against Army and they lost. Twenty twenty two, they played in the Gasparilla Bowl against Wake Forest and they lost. Like, this is not a program who has had a lot of bowl success. And now you're telling them that they're going to go get to play in the Cotton Bowl against Ohio State? Like, the like this is... I'm, I'm not saying that Ohio State won't care. I'm saying that this is, I think, a bigger deal for Missouri. And that would kind of give me some pause, too, as I look at this. Because this is a situation for Missouri where this is something that is going on their recruiting pamphlets. This is something that is going on. Mm-hmm. Like Eli Drinkwitz is going to walk into living rooms that have kids that he's recruiting in Texas and in Florida and in the South and of all these places and say, look at what we're doing. Look at what we're building. Whereas Ohio State, they're not going to do that because you're not going to hype up a Cotton Bowl win because you're competing for national championships. This is not this. They're not the same program and they're not historically the same program. So I do think that there is a little bit of that playing into this where I look at this and go, man. Missouri is going to want this really badly and Missouri is going to play like their hair's on fire because this for them is the biggest game they've played in, in a postseason game in a very long time. I know they played Georgia earlier in the year, but in terms of the postseason game and kind of what these seniors came back for on Missouri, this is it. This is the game that you came back for. This is the game that they had been striving for for years. This is what they have been building towards under Eli Drinkwitz. It's a fair point. Part of this motivation is just simply, hey, Ohio State, do you want to be on every Missouri pamphlet yeah. for the next 12 months? <laughs> like with Ohio State, because- it's like, ah, we're going to play one more game. We're going to get the – it's the Blues Brothers. We're, yeah. we're getting the band back together. And with Missouri, it's like this is the biggest game ever. This is like the fans are excited. Like this is a huge deal for Missouri. And I don't want that to sound condescending to Missouri. Like I, good for Missouri. Like, I, you know, hey, you know, they had a great year and they should be applauded for that. And their fans are very excited. What do they say? They sold out like 80% of their ticket allotments like in the first day or something ridiculous mm-hmm. like that. Like th- they were very, very excited to play that game. And they're very, very excited to get down to Dallas. So I, I do think that that it's matters. Like- so when we're in the Woody, there's obviously a bunch of pictures up. And a lot of the photos up right now are from either the Rose Bowl or the 2020 Sugar Bowl. And so it's like, hey, Clemson, you lost. So you just get to be up in the Woody yep. for Lord knows how much longer. Hey, Ohio State, do you want to be on every poster 
inside Missouri's practice facility because you lost probably the most important game they've played in the past decade, Nathan. <laughs> like, how that's got to be part of the motivation here. Is like, I just don't want to be in Missouri's um, history books for this. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it's also like these games don't carry the same historical resonance uh, as playoff games, obviously. Like, they, they sure. kind of, you know, they'll be remembered in Missouri history. Um, I don't know that they get remembered in the history of a program like Ohio State as much, frankly. And especially when you look ahead to, like, next year, when both of these teams would be in a 12-team playoff, this game would, with, with their full contingent of players, and this a game like this just wouldn't, will have even less resonance. So, um, you know, when I look at, like, where I think the biggest, issues for Ohio State are I keep coming back to burden I just don't know as strong as this secondary played this year I don't think they were tested by anyone this good I know their other receivers are not necessarily you know talked about as like first round talent guys the way Abuka is but I think they're talented enough that they can hurt you too and with Burden, like you said, they're going to line him up in the slot like 80% of the time, but that doesn't mean he's only a problem for who is uh, guarding the slot or who is, who is lined up in the slot, who, whoever is at nickel on a given possession. It, it's a problem really for that whole defense. Could be a pro, you know, they're going to move him around and try to get him on the kind of matchups that in talent equated games, other opponents have been able to capitalize on against Ohio State in the past few years. So that's, I think, maybe the biggest thing that has to be solved for Ohio State is, you know, regardless of which guys are available to you as far as who's opting into this game or opting not to opt out, however you want to say it, is once you find out who you have, how are you accounting for the many ways that they're going to move him around and and make you have to follow him around the field, um, not with one person, but kind of with an entire defensive philosophy. One last thing I want to ask you, Nathan, just because we've touched on it numerous times this season about the fact that Jim Knowles has clearly blitzed a lot less than he did last year. And maybe some of that was seeing how some of those blitzes paid off against Michigan and against Georgia late in the season. But given the way Missouri runs its offense, do you think this should be a heavy blitz game for Jim Knowles you know I I mean I don't know how much it'll matter just because they get rid of the ball so fast as it is you're Mm -hmm. you're probably especially if you're if you make it apparent pre-snap that you're bringing pressure from somewhere you are Mm -hmm. you know giving him giving Cook a big hint as to where he needs to go with the ball because he's getting it out fast anyway what I think they probably will do and, and definitely should do is show a lot of blitzes but don't actually bring them like be very judicious on how often you're bringing them make it be in those situations where maybe they can't rely you know i do i think that you know on third and long um maybe sprinkle more of those in i could see that because in those situations they're going to have to run some routes to develop longer and and you cook's going to have to just by nature hold the ball a little bit longer there but on like early downs if you get too aggressive with that. I think this is the kind of team that could could capitalize. 
So they're already going to be getting the ball out fast. I think it's a matter of can you be disruptive still with your front four? And that isn't even necessary getting to him, but just getting beating your guy, getting in the backfield, getting in the way, make him have to turn and look somewhere else, make him have to to double pump. Like just those things. Like even if you're not getting home, even if you're not getting hits on him, just be disruptive make him have to think on the field as opposed to just getting into a rhythm, getting the ball out quickly. And now you're zipping up and down the field. Yeah. Get him out the pocket, but then you can't let him get downfield because he he'll, he'll get out and move and he'll get up the field. He's got eight touchdowns this year. He's got 253 yards. A lot of that is scramble yards. They use him sometimes in the run game, but he'll get out in space and, you know, pick up a couple of yards there. So I I think that's the right approach. You don't necessarily want to show the blitz, but I do think it is important for this front four, not necessarily to get home, but make sure that Cook feels them and feels them in a way where he's getting out the pocket and then he's throwing the ball away or they're at least hitting them. Because what you can't do is let him get the ball out quick, but you also can't let him get outside the pocket, run free and turn a play that maybe should have been you know, a no gain. It should be second and 10. And now it's second and six just because you let him get out of the pocket. That's offense. These aren't going to be so heavy because – Listen, we still have to do a game preview probably in a couple of weeks here, but I do think it's a good introduction into Missouri's defense. And that's, I'm excuse me, offense. And that's for Thursday. On Friday, we're going to turn around and look at Missouri's defense, which I think will also be an interesting conversation, especially now that Ohio State's going to be using a new quarterback because that creates a whole new series of variables that we have to talk about because we're not talking about Missouri's defense in terms of a starting quarterback in Kyle McCord who's on start number 14 of his career in 13 of the season we're talking about Devin Brown who was on game number five let alone start number one so that will be the Friday pod and the next week is signing day get the text 614-350-3315 all information all news all analysis everything going to your phone first two-week free trial 399 after that for Nathan Baird and for Andrew Gillis I'm Stephen Means and that was Buckeye Talk